0: This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by ProMega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. It's
1: just kind of a mess, but we're doing our best and still trying to collect data.
2: You have the uh, ability to beat the next 15 words I say, Josh, because that boils my blood. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week, COVID-19. Enough said. Stay with us.
3: And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 130. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Well, Dan, everything's different in the world of COVID-19.
2: Many, many, many things are different. And this is the first time you and I were recording a
3: podcast where we are in different locations. Yeah, people have asked us that a few times. They said, do you and Dan actually record together in the same room or over Skype or something like that? And You you, guys, are so
2: unnatural and awkward. (laughs) You must be in different places.
3: (laughs) Actually, we're sitting right next to each other most of the time. In 130 episodes, this is the very first time that we have not been in the same room together. So uh, this is going to be an adjustment.
2: Yeah. Well, we've got the Zoom video going like I think most of the United States is, and uh, we're going to adapt. And, and today's episode is is really all about COVID-19 and how it's affecting people working in the lab and who are no longer working in the lab.
3: You know, Dan, I was going through my budgeting app. I was entering in some transactions for the month. Uh, Emily Roberts would be so proud of me. But the thing that struck me was I was looking at transactions from this very month, just a few weeks ago, and, and it helped me remember my mindset and some of the things I was doing just a few weeks ago. And I had no clue in the month of, when the month of March began that a month later, this would be a reality. Yeah, it changed
2: really rapidly. Hopefully, you're taking the time, Josh, to invent calculus and to write King
3: Lear. I just finished all those things, and so I'm
2: I'm digging a pond in my yard.
3: Well, similar to that, I have been playing quite a bit of Animal Crossing on the Switch. You'd like it, Dan. You can do gardening and you can catch butterflies. I'm doing all of
2: that, Josh, in the
3: real world. <laughs> if it's so hot outside right now. <laughs> well,
2: we have something to cool off. We... uh cannot be together we cannot be drinking the same beer but we did both open beers and it looks like we had a similar theme so why don't you tell us what you're drinking josh all
3: right dan i had a case of this right before the the stay-at-home orders came in so i guess my official beer of the pandemic has been the low pitch juicy ipa from high wire brewing and i think with so much uncertainty i have sought a little bit of comfort in reverting back to just drinking low gravity ipas
2: yeah, well I I apparently had the same notion. Uh I came up with the Luau Crunkles from Terrapin in uh Athens, Georgia. And it is also a passion fruit orange guava IPA. Oh, that sounds good. Didn't it's delicious. We, I think we
3: uh I think we had a Terrapin a Terrapin. We beer probably, probably had this one, on but this show. is what I have. <laughs> we can check the show how's that beer map? Is that still a thing we have? Uh,
2: It still exists. I don't think I've updated it in a couple of weeks, but now I have copious spare time.
3: You know, Dan, something else since all this has been going on that I've been doing, uh, and maybe you have too, there's so much negativity on the news. It seems like all the news is is bad or depressing or scary, but I don't know why I have received a lot of comfort from reading all of these scientific articles and preprints that are coming out uh, about coronavirus and just seeing all the research that's rapidly ongoing. Yeah, it is everybody's first interest to
2: understand this virus and to test different ways of helping patients and so you know the flurry of information that's coming out is immense and it's it's been challenging at least for me to sort the wheat from the chaff um but i, I think every time a paper comes out you know we hop on it and we have to be a little bit careful about uh things that haven't been replicated and reviewed and i know that's hard uh but as scientists i think we understand the process has to has to work, and it takes time.
3: A couple studies that I saw that maybe I'm particularly clinging to, I saw one where they were looking at the genome sequence of some of the more recent virus isolates from the United States and comparing that to some of the original isolates that came from China a month or six weeks ago and the finding that the genomes were fairly stable and it didn't seem like the virus was, was mutating to the same degree as like a flu virus, for example. So I took that as a positive sign. And then also a study in primates where it appeared that, uh, at least in primates, they appeared to develop protective immunity. So perhaps a little bit of a glimmer of hope of once you get vaccinated or if you get infected, you might have some protective immunity from reinfection.
2: Any good news we can handle? Uh, Josh, we've we've got some interviews today with scientists who, whose work and their lives have been disrupted and changed by the coronavirus pandemic. Before we get to that, we do want to mention um, we have a new Patreon patron. So thank you to Terry. Thank
3: you, Terry. We appreciate the support.
2: And every time we podcast, we talk about ProMega and and what they do to help with their student resource center. But today. We have some information
3: about uh, the work they're doing on COVID-19. So we talked to some of our friends at, at Promega, and they were telling us about the different ways that they are dedicated to supporting scientists during this pandemic by continuing to provide tools needed to detect the virus and develop therapeutics against it. And in that collaborative spirit, Promega scientists have been actively at work to help testing labs make sure they have the reagents and instrumentation they need, and in some cases have been donating and loaning instruments to those labs that are actively engaged in, uh, in this crisis.
2: Yeah, you can imagine how difficult it is to take a production line and push it toward different aspects of the research on coronavirus that just dropped out of the blue. But that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, and if you want to learn more about it, you can go to promega.com slash hellophd, and there'll be some information there about how this company is supporting coronavirus research.
3: All right, Dan. Well, why don't we move into our main topic, which is more talk about COVID-19. All right, Dan. So, you had some time this week to uh, do a couple of interviews, and you're really excited to, to share these and to hear some personal accounts of how this pandemic is impacting graduate students, but also assistant professors on young faculty who are faced with shuttering their lab for an indefinite amount of time.
2: Yeah, we had some conversations on Twitter, and we heard from students uh, very early on in the the um, impact on the United States, where some were saying they were still going in and and some people, their departments were shutting things down. Now that we are a few weeks into the many locations having stay at home orders, I was really curious to know how scientists were adapting because I remember having cell lines that needed to be maintained every two or three days and having a mouse colony that had to be uh, uh, taken care of every day. And I just didn't know how uh, scientists were adapting to this as more universities say, do not come in. And more States and localities say you're not allowed to leave home. So uh, the first person I talked to was Megan Sieg and she, She's a fifth-year graduate student, and uh, I'll let her introduce herself and and tell you how she is adapting to this change, where she can no longer contact her research patients.
1: Yeah, so I'm Megan Sig. I'm a PhD student in neuroscience at the University of Illinois. Um, I'm in my fifth year now. Uh, I study prenatal exposure to things called endocrine-disrupting chemicals, as well as medications, and how that might be affecting child brain development, and this is a very interesting time for all of us.
2: <laughs> yes, it is. These are uncharted waters. Um, would you walk us through the the last few months? How did the this coronavirus, uh, I guess, pandemic is, what, <laughs> is the right word for it. How did this unfold at your university and in your lab?
1: Yeah, so we work with human participants. We work with pregnant women pretty early in their pregnancies when we start seeing them. And then we see them and their kids at this point up through four years so we do everything in person pregnancy through baby's eighth month month. and then we do things via phone and mail and email at two years and three years and then we do things in person again at four years so things didn't really start being disrupted until about I think it was March 9th or so Before that, we were kind of all keeping an eye on things, but we didn't know how things were going to unfold. Uh, And then we had a meeting on the 10th where everyone who's involved in data collection got together to talk about Mm -hmm. some things that are going on. Um, And that was the first time it was really brought up that this is something we're keeping an eye on and we're starting to weigh options for what we will do um, should it become a serious problem. And then... By Thursday of that week, so March 12th, uh, most of the other labs on campus that see human participants had already halted seeing human participants, so we decided that would be our last day of in-person data collection, and from then we would go to 100% via phone, mail, and email, and go in kind of as needed to grab files and paperwork but keep our distance from each other and try to schedule so we wouldn't be around each other too much since our call center is kind of cramped in a small space. I think it was that Thursday, so the 19th, is when the Illinois governor issued the stay-at-home order going into effect um, Saturday at 5, so that was the 21st. So then Friday was kind of a mad dash once... Those in charge of our study made decisions about how we're going to continue Friday evening through Saturday morning. We're kind of all scrambling and scheduling time to go into lab and grab as many files as we could and as much paperwork as we could so we could continue working from home. It's just kind of a mess, but we're doing our best and still trying to collect data.
2: How does that change your... We'll we'll start with the research. How does that change your research? Because if you were seeing human subjects if you're seeing these pregnant women and i assume talking to them but also maybe taking some measurements how does that change
1: yeah so that is really going to throw a wrench in our plans for looking at prenatal exposure to things which is one of our main interests um but i'm i feel like i'm almost kind of lucky because one of my research questions is looking at um acetaminophen exposure during pregnancy so for that, we actually ask questions um, in the interview, which we can still do over the phone.
2: Somebody so will know I'm, if they've taken a tablet. They may not know right. if their juice bottle had phthalates.
1: Right. So I think we're going to have to be really careful with looking at prenatal exposure, to things like phthalates, exactly, um, or BPA. We do still ask them questions about the products they use. So things like different shampoos or personal care products, um, plastic products that they use. So we should be able to, um, if we want to in the future, uh, go back and sort of figure out (laughs) what their approximate exposure might have been from those plastic products during this really weird time.
2: And was it a difficult decision to to shut down that process or was there pretty unanimous consensus inside the department that this this needs to stop?
1: So I can only speak to myself and the two postdocs that are in my lab. We were all very unanimous that we should stop seeing participants as soon as things started looking serious. So I think by the 11th, we had all, the three of us had come to the conclusion. And then I know my advisor, <clears throat> um, she was also... Uh, keeping a close eye on things. And I think she was leaning towards shutting in-person data collection down as soon as possible and just had to wait until we got the final say from her.
2: So this makes your research more challenging. And you mentioned that you're a fifth-year graduate student. Um, What does this do to your plans, your timeline for finishing up, writing a dissertation, defending?
1: Yeah, so my timeline has already been... presumptuous
2: because... Five years is, is a long time for some people, and and uh, it can go on for much longer in other departments. So I know there's a wide range.
1: Yeah. So my department, the average tends to be about six years. So I'm still kind of on track. Um, my timeline has already been shifted a little bit because I had to change labs in the middle of my third year. Um, and I went from working with rodent models to humans, which was a very big switch Fortunately, it was the same sort of area looking at endocrine disrupting chemicals, just shifting focus in organisms a little bit. Um, So right now, I'm working on my prelims. We are still planning on doing my prelims um, by the end of May. And then hopefully, I will defend sometime between May and August of next year. That's still the goal. Uh, because we do have quite a bit of data that I can work with right now. So the goal is to get 820 women and babies in our study. And we are about uh, 50 away from that goal, I think. So we have quite a bit of data already that I can work with at least.
2: How have the other students in the university that you're in touch with adapted? Um, People at different stages.
1: I know there's been some controversy around the chemistry department at my school um, where the department has said to just kind of continue (laughs) as is. So I'm not sure where that stands right now.
2: That's surprising. Uh, The one department I would imagine could put things in a cabinet and go home is the chemistry department. Right. This is not I have live samples or I've got a mouse colony.
1: Right. Um, So I used to be part of the... My lab, my first lab in grad school was part of the vet school, so I still get emails from them. Um, I know they pretty much shut down as much as they can. Um, I'm not entirely sure how those with animal experiments are still handling things, but it's certainly interesting times for everyone.
2: Have, Have classes been impacted? I'm assuming you're not taking many at this point, but... How have they adapted to no longer being able to meet in person?
1: Yeah, so I am taking my last stats class. Um, So that professor has moved everything to online. He decided that um, I think as of Tuesday, March 10th, which was when we first started hearing murmurs around campus that things may have to move online and things may shut down. So he has extended deadlines for things Um, and pushed back exams for us and is coming up with new policies. And he's really great in trying to work with everyone and make it so that we are still getting what we need to out of this class and not making it too pressured (laughs) in these really weird times.
2: Do you have a sense for how far into the future they've planned? Do you know how long people expect this to last? How long do you expect to be out of the lab?
1: Right now, our plan is to not see any human participants through uh, May 15th. So May 16th would be the earliest we plan to go back into lab. But we're kind of planning to continue as we are via working from home through that point. There's been a lot of changes in the last week or so. And we all kind of feel like we're changing what we're doing every day, depending on the information we have. So it's a lot.
3: (laughs) Hey, Dan, it was really, really interesting to hear a first person account of how this is fundamentally changing how data are collected and how grad students are thinking about their experiments.
2: Yeah, it it hurts me to hear it. it. It breaks my heart a little bit to know that this important research is now more difficult. It's going to have less data available, um, these are impacts on human health that are outside of coronavirus. And I think we're we're hearing the same things about the way that hospitals are impacted, where, yes, there are patients that may be having trouble getting ventilators and things like that. But then there are all these people that would normally go to the hospital for a heart condition or for some other injury. And they're also being impacted. So this, this pandemic is reaching far and wide. And it, it's just all negative, as far as I can tell.
3: Well, Dan, let's shift gears and let's hear from... A friend of the show, I guess we could say um, Jada, who, you know, we followed Jada's career a bit on the show. I think she, this is her third time on on the show's first time she was a postdoc. And then we talked to her around the time she was transitioning. And now she's in her second year of running a lab. Yeah.
2: and, And she also has some experiments that have been impacted. I'll let her tell you that story.
0: I am Jada Cochino-Budd. I am an assistant professor at the University of Vermont in biology. This is my second year as an assistant professor, so I'm still kind of on the new end of things.
2: Yeah, and we actually talked to you several years ago when you were a postdoc. I remember having you on the show then. Uh, So, again, congratulations.
0: Ah, Thank you. Yeah, I think you talked to me early on or middle of my postdoc. And then as I was applying for jobs. So you've kind of seen me through the progression of this on this show.
2: Well, and these are, are very unusual times and not something I would say comes in every new faculty's uh, journey. Can you walk us through the, what the timeline has been for you personally, but also at the university level for how, how they've responded to coronavirus as it's kind of swept across the world and the country?
0: Yeah, so I will say that my university is, I think they've been more cautiously waiting and maybe more optimistic than other places, so I've really been following everything kind of on Twitter, looking at other faculty, other friends that I know at universities in um, around the country, and watching as... University after university shuts down, and people shut their labs, and nothing had really been happening at my university. And then my department decided that we needed to kind of take it upon ourselves to shut down our own labs because we figured that there was going to be a stay-at-home, shelter-at-home sort of uh, decision coming from the state at some point. So we thought it was best to try to ramp down ourselves, but it actually became... A little bit different because since other departments were still open and we had graduate students that are still part of the graduate college even if they were in our department and the graduate college was saying go on keep working um, it actually made it really difficult for those people so I would say we just um, last week decided that our department was going to close down and today we got the Vermont stay at home uh, order so everything kind of shut down right now all of a sudden. So there were some labs that had started to kind of shut down, but some labs all of a sudden had to kind of deal with things, so had to make a plan for what they're going to do with their mice or their flies or um, just different reagents that they had that they weren't counting on. So I think things had been kind of chaotic. Um, Other places where the... The decision did come down kind of early on. We're a little bit ahead of the curve in this, but I guess there have been different timelines in different states anyway, so maybe it's been a similar sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I don't know how unusual that is, that the university from the top would not be making the decision, but your department tried to get out ahead of it. And I wonder, is that because as scientists and as biologists, you're watching the this disease ravage other countries and you are interpreting the future differently than maybe an administrator somewhere else in the university?
0: Yeah, I think that that's part of it. Um, Also, I mean, Vermont is a small state, so we only had five cases for a long time. And I think there was kind of a feeling of maybe it won't be so bad here from the administration. Um, Again, whether that was optimism or denial. um, But yeah, I think it's because, you know, people who, know science and understand the data that are coming out are able to actually see what's happening. And we knew that this was probably the best thing to do. The labs have students in them, uh, technicians, the PI. So we wanted to kind of make sure that everybody was staying home and not interacting. Because even if you stay, you know, six feet away from each other in a lab, you're still using common equipment. And unless you're spraying it down with ethanol between every single use uh, or Yeah, just taking huge precautions. It's just easier to have everybody stay at home. So I think that's part of the decision from our department.
2: What was the feeling in the department? Because to shut down a lab, I have to assume, is not an easy feat, particularly if you're dealing with cell cultures or animals. Um, What steps did you have to take to be ready for that?
0: Yeah, so we had to stop all experiments that were kind of ongoing. So I had 25 different Drosophila crosses. I work um, in neuroscience in Drosophila and fruit flies. So I had 25 different experiments that I was having ongoing. And I had to basically just stop those and throw those away.
2: And and there's no freezing the flies and waiting till later and thawing them back out. No.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, flies, you cannot freeze. So we just had to get rid of all of the experiments. You didn't bring them home,
2: smuggle them into the
0: I did not. I know a lot of different labs are actually bringing them home because you can make little fly stations at home. Um, Just to keep the
2: genetics going.
0: Yeah, so um, even just to keep the the lines that we have in lab, I have about 600 different fly lines in my lab, and we need to keep them going. Luckily, flies only have to be kind of maintained about once a month or so, so it's not as bad as a mouse lab, for example, or some others. But, yeah, we have to put in place, you know, essential personnel that can come in to maintain those flies or other animals and other um, labs in the department And so we had to decide who was coming in, what the schedule was, uh, making sure that they had the right access to the building because the buildings are all going to be locked down. And, you know, there's probably things that we've forgotten about as we've tried to make all these plans because everything happened really quickly.
2: So for you as a young faculty member, uh, probably working toward papers and tenure and things like that, this is a big impact. This amount of time to lose, these 25 experiments that have to get stopped and then started over at some unknown future date. How is it impacting the graduate students that have also had to stop their experiments?
0: Yeah, you know, at first I think there was a little bit of a again denial as, you know, well, I can I can come into the lab late at night when nobody else is here, I'll just do this and over time people were realizing, you know, that's not what's happening and there really is a lot of your PhD that can be done not right from in the lab, they can be done remotely, either writing grants or papers or analyzing data, or even just learning new skills, learning how to code in different languages. So there's a lot of things that you can do, but you kind of have to be willing to abandon all your plans, right? I mean, there's so much that you plan out and you think about, you know, this has to happen, then this has to happen, then this has to happen. And in cases like this, all of that kind of goes out the window and you just do what you can do. So I think grad students, the really important thing that I've realized is just making sure that they feel very supported in whatever's happening. And because of all of the confusion that was happening, actually, at uh, my university between my department and other departments having different rules, I actually posted something on Twitter just being like, this is confusing. This is a confusing situation. And I got a lot of emails from graduate or private emails from graduate students saying, you know, thank you for posting this. We've all felt really confused and we've almost forced to go into the lab and we're not sure if we're forced to go into the lab right now. We just don't know what's going on. So I ended up talking to some of the administration um, just to say, we need to support our graduate students and let them know that it really is okay um, to be working remotely because unless that decision comes from the top down, grad students might not feel comfortable saying, I don't feel comfortable coming in. Can I work from home? So I think that really supporting people and saying there are lots of things that you can do that are not directly in the lab. And even if it goes on for six months, you know, you can write a review paper that will probably take a large portion of that or, as I said before, analyze data. There's lots of other things you can do.
2: Yeah, I think I don't know that I would have done this as a graduate student, but what I wish I had done was to spend more time planning out my papers, deciding what figures there needed to be, and then taking the time to lay out what steps I would need to take to get there. Uh, This might be a good opportunity for that. Again, I'm not sure I would have done that if I were given the time. So
0: There is a little bit of this experience and trying to put a silver lining on this oftentimes in lab everything is go 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 and you don't want to take time to just read papers and just you know plan out what you're going to do as much obviously you make plans but having really long-term plans or contingency plans or multiple plans um, I think this kind of gives you the freedom to be able to just sit back and say okay I can do that now and In some ways, I actually feel less stressed right now than I have for the past year and a half as a faculty member, which I know sounds crazy, but it's because I can't do all the things that I could normally do. So it really is giving me time to prioritize the things that need to be done and just know that I can't get everything done and to be okay with that. So I'm trying to take some good things from it, too.
2: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you're right. There's always the next deadline. And you will always be reacting as a faculty member or as a graduate student trying to get that next experiment out, trying to be ready for lab meeting, what have you. But, but this is a forced break to maybe think a little deeper about uh, your path forward. And, and perhaps the time you spend on this will make up for itself because you'll have a better plan.
0: Yeah, I would like to be optimistic and say that. I mean, I do we'll go with that. think there is, yeah, yeah, I do think that there is going to be a setback from this, and a lot of universities have actually realized that. Especially, the conversation is happening for junior faculty right now, and many universities have already extended the tenure track clock about um, or the tenure clock a year or so. Some places only six months, but that's becoming a thing. Even though we haven't been shut down for that long, people realize that this really is going to be disruptive. And yeah, um, it's
2: it's the stopping an experiment is not as if you're going to get back to lab the day the university opens and you're back where you were. You have now lost all the time it took you to develop those 25 lines of flies and and the same for any other researcher who's been uh, developing a project over time.
3: Mm
0: -hmm, Exactly. And I think that along with, you know, what I said about supporting graduate students, supporting just everybody in the university is really important. And so I'm really enjoying seeing the universities that are kind of taking that initiative to say that people are supported, to say that the tenure clock is extended instead of when someone asks, just saying, well, it's in the handbook that you can request an extension if necessary. Uh, Because the same goes for graduate students, you know, Some places will have a max length on how long you can stay, but this is going to be really disruptive. So I think a lot of these timelines are just going to be kind of adjusted or uh, thought through as we're going on and as we really see what's happening.
2: And will students continue to get their stipends?
0: Yes, as far as I know, so NIH has already said that you can pay stipends from NIH grants. Um, universities, all the ones that I know of, are saying that, of course, we will pay student stipends. And especially because you can still do work towards your PhD. So even if you're not physically in lab, you're still working towards that PhD. And so that obviously deserves a stipend.
2: Um, How have classes changed? I know you have uh, a teaching load as a faculty member. What does that look like in the, the new world?
0: Yeah, so that is really interesting. Many of us were given a week or less to um, take the class that we had designed for a face-to-face interaction and put that online. And so most places really are saying, Do what you can to make this work. And really, it's going to be different for each class, right? Because as you can imagine, every class has different learning objectives that we're going for or just different ways that we interact. So we're trying to use a lot of different ways. Either some people are doing it synchronously using something like Zoom or Microsoft Teams where everybody's getting together and actually discussing at real time. But there are some things to keep in mind with that. There are some inequities that can occur because not everybody has functional internet. Some people don't have fast internet. Some people don't have access to it at all at their house. And if they have to go to a public library, a lot of public libraries are closing down now. So a lot of people are trying to go to an asynchronous method where they're posting an assignment and students have until, you know, midnight that day to go through it and then write a, a reflection or whatever their assignment is um, so that everybody can still engage in going to um, discussion boards where people can still engage, but it doesn't necessarily have to be at the same time. So classes right now look very different um, from what they were designed to be in the first place and very different from each other because people are doing whatever they can to make it work, either in terms of different technologies that they're using or just different setups. But I am really impressed with all the faculty and all the students that I know. People have really come together and they're just making it work. You know, I kind of thought that students wouldn't be as engaged in this. And I think that they're still coming back with just as much enthusiasm I mean, a little bit more anxiety. But they're really willing to put in the effort to learn in whatever system is being set up for them and so I am so impressed with just how faculty and students are reacting to this.
2: How far into the future have you or your department planned to be out and and how long do they expect this to last?
0: Uh yeah um definitely the whole rest of the semester. Um, So that's the
2: expectation is that there will not be a return to the lab for this semester.
0: Right um Still hoping that the labs will open up uh, for this summer. I know all of the classes were still going for online classes this summer. I would love to say that by the fall, everything's going to be back to normal and our labs are going to be open and uh, classes will return to in-person classes. But right now, again, it's just one of those big unknowns. We have no idea.
2: Uh, I think that's uh, that is the theme of life right now. Uh, uh-huh. Take it day by day and and try to work it out. Do you have any any final advice for other people about how to stay sane? It could be for students, or for other faculty members. Uh, any tricks that you found that are helping you get through?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think staying connected with people, even if it's through you know Zoom meetings, Microsoft Teams meetings. That's one thing that we're doing for my lab. Um, I have a weekly lab meeting set up. And even if we don't talk about lab things at all, if we just want to talk about some show that we just watched that was funny and got us through things, or even just to say hi to people and stay connected, I think that is a really important thing right now. And just support from people who are going through the same things is invaluable. So you know, some people don't like having these virtual lab meetings, but I think just bringing people together in the formats that we can is going to help a lot right now.
2: Oh, that's great. And any challenges that you would like advice from other people on if we put this out there?
0: No, I mean, I think, yeah, trying to just understand. What to tell students about how grad schools are going to see these, this uh, all of this stuff? But I think again, that's one of those things that we just no one's going to know until we know, right? I, yeah, so, I'm going to
2: hold Josh's feet to the fire on that question to make sure that as somebody who reviews those applications, he has a plan for that.
0: Because mm-hmm, yeah, I mean in our in our program we have probably about 50 applications per year, um, and I think because we're small, we're able to make potentially different decisions than really large programs. Um, So I'm interested just to see what other programs are doing around the country. But otherwise, no, I mean, I think just keep going. And I've only been at this, I guess, what, like a week and a half so far, and we only got the official stay-at-home order today. So for the next three weeks, I'll be continuing this, and we'll see if I have a different outlook at that point or in three months or however long.
3: Dan, you know, I know I mentioned this at the top of the show, but just to circle back again, it is just so crazy to think about how fast everything as we know it, everything that was routine completely changed. I mean, you know, thinking about from the perspective of, of Jada just now, you know, she's an assistant professor who's been working incredibly hard over the last couple of years, getting her lab up and going, and she's got her trainees, she's doing teaching and was doing all of that at the beginning of this month. And now today we're, we're sitting here, and this week you're talking to her about her labs completely shuttered down, all the experiments are completely halted, and there's no end in sight. I mean, who would have thought that, that we would be here? And this is something that all of us in the research spectrum, I guess, unless you're directly working on uh, COVID-19, what a, what a crazy turn of events. Well, this is not going to be the type of thing where all this gets behind us and everybody walks back into lab and we just pick it back up where we left off, but there's gonna be a significant ramp up period required to get us back to where we were when we stopped.
2: I think that's right. Um, I, I've been really impressed with how everybody is adapting. Megan said this, uh, Jada said this, they are finding ways to to make it work. When you have to give classes and tests, you find a way to adapt that to an online format. You and I are recording this uh, remotely. We have the technology, we just don't have the habits, we don't have the practices. And um, I, I really feel hopeful and I feel confident that, as a group, scientists are going to going to make this work. Uh, everybody should have been a bioinformatician. That would have been better. We could all stay home and, and work on our computers. But that's not where we are right now.
3: Yeah, I actually had an email exchange with a, a colleague who runs a bioinformatics lab. And I just, at the close of my email, just said, you know, hope. You and everyone are doing okay. And he did write back and he said, well, as a bioinformatics lab, we're all happier when we can work from home anyway. (laughs) So I think you're absolutely right. Don't make us commute. (laughs) Um, You know, I was glad to hear one of the things Jada mentioned that I think a lot of institutions are starting to do for younger faculty, and that is here at the forefront, making sure they know that their tenure clock, the time that they have to um, get everything in line for tenure, that that's been extended for even up to a year. Um, and I think that's got to be so reassuring to those folks even this early in the, in the shutdown uh, to know that that's not something extra they need to be worried about. And my hope is that graduate programs will be equally forthcoming with making sure graduate students know that f- extra flexibility will be had for uh, committee meetings and prelim exams and, and these types of things. Well, and
2: I promised Jada that I would... Make sure that I held your feet to the fire, Josh. That in the the next year when you're doing admissions, uh, you're paying attention to the fact that some people maybe got pass fail grades because the university shifted to a pass fail format, and that that's not going to be held against people.
3: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because I've had several undergrads reach out to me just this week with that very question, um, and you know many of our grad student listeners and postdocs may not realize this, but that is. Uh, a reality for a lot of undergraduate programs right now, and and high school programs too. I know my my wife's uh, in a high school setting and they're facing this too, of shifting all coursework to pass fail. And I've heard from a few undergrads who have some concerns that, you know, when they target graduate programs or medical professional programs, is the lack of these traditional grades, is that going to impact their admissions to these competitive programs? Now, I can't speak for every type of program, of course, but I can unequivocally say that for graduate programs, at least for our program, definitely not. That's not going to impact you. First of all, I think we've said numerous times on the show, your GPA is not the number one factor for uh, research-based graduate programs. But you know, this is something that literally everyone, every student is facing right now. And so... There's going to be uh, nothing but but sympathy for what, what our students and, and realistic viewpoint of what our students are going through right now. So I would not worry about that. Josh,
2: there is a third group of people that we have not yet talked about. We talked about people whose research has stopped. We've talked about people whose research has been changed by this pandemic. I really wanted to talk to students and technicians and researchers who were still going into lab that they had experiments or animal facilities or cell lines that they could not actually put on hold. And I don't know what the regulations are about uh, them being an essential research service. I suppose coronavirus would, would be one, but there are certainly people still going to lab still going to the university and the few that i reached out to i couldn't get anybody to commit to record on uh on a podcast because i think they were uncomfortable either speaking on a podcast which is possible or they were uncomfortable talking about the fact that they were still being made to go into work and so did you were you able to hear from anybody
3: yes yeah, so dan i did one interview with with such a person and you know we had a nice chat about you know, coming into lab and how it's obviously very different. There are much, you know, many fewer people on campus and in lab and altering schedules. So you're there when no one else is there and tending to the mice and finishing up some experiments and a timeline of hopefully wrapping things up completely. So we finished that conversation and then turned the recording off. And the conversation quickly took a different turn where with the microphones off, the, you know, the individual talking about how really uncomfortable They felt with feeling this implicit pressure to keep experiments going and feeling increasingly nervous and uncomfortable with taking transportation in, taking public transit in to do do research, and um, as the number of cases in their community continues to build, having to come in day after day, keeping these experiments going. and
2: It doesn't sound like it was this person's choice to keep going in. It was something that they felt compelled to do.
3: Yeah, feeling like a pressure from, from the lab head. And I think I knew the answer to this question, but felt that I needed to ask anyway. So, you know, I asked whether the PI of the lab was in there every day also, and the response was that the PI had been working from home since the start of the crisis. You have the... uh
2: ability to beep the next 15 words I say, Josh, because that
3: boils my blood. Yeah. And so I want to say at the beginning of, of this conversation, I'm, I'm fairly active on on science and academic Twitter, and I've heard a lot of faculty, um, rightfully so, and, and really greatly so, being very upfront about closing down their lab and how it's the right thing to do and and encouraging their trainees or mandating their trainees to stay home, work from home, stop the experiments, right? And some of those scientific departments were
2: were ahead of the university as a whole because they understood the scope and nature of the problem.
3: That's right. Just and that's exactly what what Jada said. But you know, you keep hearing these these undercurrents that there are still labs out there. There's still uh, PIs out there who either directly or indirectly, are making their trainees feel like that it's business as usual and, you know, they should find a way to keep the experiments going.
2: And, and this person you spoke to, this wasn't a matter of these were research animals that did have to be taken care of. This was just the PI wanted the experiments done.
3: Yeah, this was finishing some important, quote-unquote, experiments. And, mm. and, so, and so, you know, so I was interested... That was my growl. And, you know, to what degree is this an issue? So I put out on our social media, on our Twitter feed, just to see if anyone else had similar experiences and received several responses from students who are in the same boat, you know, and receiving responses talking about how as grad students in in particular labs, they're not just feeling required to come in and make sure animals are taken care of, but being encouraged to keep Western blots going and other non-emergency experiments So, so this is something that is absolutely happening in places. Um, Again, I don't know that this is the norm everywhere, but we can't deny that this is actually something in the middle of all this as stay-at-home orders are being enacted across the country. There are trainees out there who are going into lab day in and day out, not because they want to, uh, but because they feel pressured to. And, And it's probably worth saying too, Dan, that if you're a lab head, it is not enough to say to your trainees if you don't feel comfortable don't come in that is not the proper response because think about Dan when you were a grad student i mean as a grad student what do you want to do you want to graduate is what i wanted to do <laughs> and you want you know you you look for ways to impress your pi right like i can remember yeah, exactly uh, anytime and this is advice i give to trainees sometimes if you're ever in the lab late at night Make sure you get your proper kudos for that, right? Email your boss and say, oh, I was just here in the lab at 11 p.m. and wanted to make sure uh, I had this question. You know, as a trainee, you're not empowered. I think at times, grad students don't feel empowered to stand up for themselves. And so if you're getting sort of a wishy-washy, well, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, feel free to not come in. But then that one person in the lab is coming in then what do you feel like? Then you feel like, oh, well, geez, maybe I should be too. So I think what is absolutely required from faculty at a time like this is explicitly saying, my lab is do shutting not down. Experiments are stopping.
2: Yeah, I'm sure these faculty members are not listening to our podcast right now. Um, I want to make it clear that I think they are the most extreme case of irresponsibility. You're not only putting these student and technicians' lives at risk, Uh, Maybe they will be one of the lucky ones that has few symptoms, but they could get somebody else sick. And the whole point of social distancing, the the reason that the rest of us are doing this is so that we stop the spread of this disease and we allow the health systems to keep up. And it is the height of, I don't know if it's egotism or stupidity to be sending people into a place where they don't need to be. Um, So there's my soapbox for the the faculty that aren't listening. Josh, for the students, for the research techs, are there people they can talk to? Is there a way for them to express, maybe not to the PI, but to an ombudsman or somebody at the university to say, this is happening, I'm being asked to go in and do Western blots and it needs to stop?
3: I think if you are in this situation and and you have a, a faculty member in your department that you trust, I mean, even better if you have someone like a director of graduate studies or a department chair or maybe someone in your graduate um, school that, that you know of. I mean, that would certainly be someone to reach out to. You know, and I think if you're feeling, if you're being directly told that you need to go into the lab and keep things going, you know, save those correspondences and certainly elevate it. Um, you know, I think first maybe try just speaking up for yourself and saying, you know what, I don't, maybe I could do these things from home instead, or I don't feel comfortable. Uh, It's not worth it to keep going in. And what actually, and I have to think, Dan, at any institution in the United States right now, that request of you is probably defying university, current university policy, maybe even state law in in some cases uh, with some of these stay at home orders. So absolutely, you should advocate for yourself in those cases or reach out to someone you can trust in your department. But I will say also, if you are someone who is going to be in the process of choosing a lab environment in the next year or so, maybe you're a new graduate student or your first year graduate student who is completing rotations. I know a lot of grad students are doing that right now or you're postdoc looking for labs. One of the questions I would absolutely ask is reach out to people who are in the lab and say, hey, how did the PI react during the COVID-19 crisis? Were they supportive? Did they pressure you to go in? Because I think we're learning a lot about who the great mentors are and who the not-so-great mentors are.
2: And who wants to put their graduate students' lives at risk?
3: While they sit home.
2: Exactly. All right. Uh, before I get more steamed, we hope to hear more from people who are, are going through this. You can find us on Twitter at hello PhD you can email us at your stories podcast at hellophd.com we would love to hear your questions your topic ideas the way that you're being impacted it's it's such a unique time you know we like to document the life in the lab and this is this is a time when uh, it's worth recording uh, how we are all going through this and hopefully making changes to the the system of training so that it gets better the next time
3: this happens one thing I would like to end on is I think as a graduate student, I mean, life has so fundamentally changed for us so quickly over the last few weeks. And a lot of what we talk about week after week is just how hard grad students work and how it's sort of this rat race. You're trying to keep up. You're trying to be productive. You're trying to graduate. You're trying to get papers. And I think now there's there can be a lot of this built up energy or this feeling that you have to somehow keep that going or keep producing at that level um, in our new reality. And one thing that I've heard a number of faculty say, and even my boss, our dean, who's over graduates, uh, our graduate training, said, don't expect to maintain that same level of pr- productivity right now. We're all really in the adaptation phase, I guess we should say. And maybe there will come a day, a week from now or two weeks from now, where you can work on that review paper or you can start drafting that manuscript. But be easy on yourself right now. Give yourself, Cut yourself some slack. Give yourself a break. Some days are just not going to feel like it right now. And that is totally okay as well. So there will be plenty of time over the course of the rest of your training and the rest of your career to work your ass off (laughs) like you probably have been. So don't be so hard on yourself right now.
2: Yeah, we're adapting to new rhythms and uh, new aspects of our life. So stay safe out there. And we hope to see you again in just a couple
3: weeks. Yeah, and we'll be continuing to talk about this new reality and how it's impacting science trainees. And if you have any ideas for things you would like for us to talk about, or you want to share your own personal experiences with doing research during the pandemic, please reach out to us. You can email us podcast at hellophd.com. Reach out to us on Twitter at hellophd. If you'd like to leave us feedback, we love to hear it. Um, Go to your favorite podcast app and write us a review. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We would appreciate the beer money, and thanks to Terry and the ongoing support of all of our patrons. All right, Dan, it was at first really weird to not have you physically sitting here next to me, but... Like everything else, I kind of got used to it by the end. I'm adapting.
2: Yeah, uh, my apologies in retrospect that I stopped recording my part halfway through and then came back in. So when you hear that in the audio, that was
3: totally my fault. Totally Dan's fault. We are uh, are a work in progress here. Just like you're going to have some empathy on yourself, cut us some slack as well. Dan is literally wearing his five-year-old's headphones right now. I think there's a cartoon character. First of all, he's
2: three, and I haven't heard him scream recently, so I should probably go check to see if he's okay. You should go check.
3: All right, Dan, it has been a pleasure, and we'll do this again next time. We'll see you then. Stay safe.